0: The guy has a heart attack, and then he's up here helping me. What a great guy. Thanks, Mark. I'm glad you're with us this morning, brother. So the scripture says it's not good for man to be alone. Tom Frankie, would you and your bride mind standing up for us? These two got married last Saturday. and you're in church a week later. What are you thinking? All right, turn with me to Genesis chapter 29. If you have your Bible with you, Genesis chapter 29. So um, it's kind of funny that I just did that for Tom and Michaela, because um, now I'm going to tell you how not to get married in Genesis <laughs> chapter 29. So let's, let's pray. Our Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for PCBC, and Father God, the rejoicing that we have uh, with Tom and Michaela, and Lord God, I, um, I pray that as we come to your word again, God, you would be kind as you always are. And Father, illuminate our understanding in the understanding of your precious word. Thank you, Lord God, for this glorious canon, this measurement, this standard of your holy, inerrant, inspired, written Word. And I pray we would be diligent, Father, to submit to what we see in the Word of God. But I pray, Father God, we would do that with the greatest of joys. In Jesus' name, amen. So, I have said over the years a bunch... um, there are blessings to expository preaching, so this concept of preaching through a, a book of the Bible, um, verse by verse, tracking through the whole book. And one point that I've made over and over and over again is this idea of it forces me and, and us as a church collectively to consider passages that we may skip over in our reading or just read over glibly and we didn't, didn't give it a whole lot of attention. That is a blessing. Another blessing that I was just freshly hit with this week is that we also are forced, and I say forced, you know what I'm saying, we we must go through very familiar passages that we may think we fully grasp because we were taught it via flannel graph so many years ago, but we come back to the text afresh and we go, and I I do this all the time, I don't know if you do, but as I'm going through one of these Old Testament storylines, I go, That's not what I remember it saying. And I'm sure it's not my memory. I'm sure it's the Bible, right? I don't remember it saying that. I don't remember it working out that way. Or or something in reference to one of these where, wow, that is far more potent and powerful than I recall. Well, that's where I'm at in this storyline of Jacob, Leah, Rachel, and his dear loving uncle, Laban. So, We're going to cover 30 verses this morning, and um, I pray that God will will bless our study as we look afresh at a passage that probably is familiar to most of you, perhaps familiar to all of you, and Lord willing, He'll give you a fresh glimpse of a very familiar storyline. 29 verse 1. Then Jacob went on his journey and came to the land of the people of the east. "...as he looked, he saw a well in the field, and behold, three flocks of sheep lying beside it, for out of the well the flocks were watered. The stone on the well's mouth was large, and when all the flocks were gathered there, the shepherds would roll the stone from the mouth of the well and the water, and water the sheep, and put the stone back in its place over the mouth of the well." If you recall, remember, Jacob is on a journey. Jacob is fleeing his brother Esau, but he's also on his way to find himself a bride. And in that traveling, as we saw the last time I was in this pulpit, was Jacob's promise from the Lord. Jacob, as the Lord came to Jacob and gave the specific promises, which were very much the Abrahamic covenant promises to Jacob, but also adding very personal promises to Jacob that I will be with you, I will take care of you until I have brought all this to fruition in you. What's interesting to me, beloved, how all this works, because again, it reveals our God's kindness and grace to undeserving sinful people. Because Jacob didn't deserve that promise whatsoever. Yet God comes to him, pours his grace out on him. And I find it fascinating in the, in the chain, chain of events here. He does that to him right before... Jacob falls head over heels, but then goes through a great deal of difficulty and probably, not probably, a massive trial where perhaps at times he questioned the promise of God. If you recall, when God made that promise, Jacob came back with his contract with the Lord that if you do this and do this and do this, then you will be my God. And so Jacob is much like us, Wrestling with faith. Is God really real? Is what he said really going to happen? Did God tell the truth? And can I trust him? Any of us to, uh, to look down on Jacob and say, I can't believe that guy would be like that. You, you've, you've missed a big blind spot in your life. All of us at some point, beloved, wrestle with truly trusting God and trusting his word. And so Jacob's no different. But nonetheless, Jacob comes into the the people of the east. He's coming to his own bloodline. Jacob fleeing Esau, looking for a wife, comes to a well. Now, I have not done this study personally, so it's something I need to do on my own. But I encourage you to do it on your own as well. It's interesting to go back and see how many things have taken place at a well. I don't know exactly how all these line up and connect to each other yet. I'm still looking at it. But the fact of the bride of Isaac found by Abraham's servant finds him at a well, another well is found here, we go all the way into Jesus' day, the woman at the well, and I just think, wonder what the connecting of the dots is there. I give that to you because I don't want you to sleep tonight, I want you to think about that. But nonetheless... Again, they meet at a well. Remember God's promise, Genesis 28, 15, that he would be with Jacob. And so we see Jacob's first encounter with these shepherds. But if you notice, he gives us a little context. This well is here. There's a massive rock uh, that needs to be moved, and they wait until everybody comes together. I think what's being implied there is that the shepherds come together collectively. It's a communal effort as they come together to remove the the stone from this well, so that way they can water their sheep. That's important, as you'll see in just a second. Now, it says, uh, verse 4, Jacob said to them, My brothers, where do you come from? They said, We are from Haran. He said to them, Do you know Laban, the son of Nahor? They said, We know him. He said to them, Is it well with him? They said it is well. And see, Rachel, his daughter, is coming with the sheep. Now, I find it fascinating. Uh, some folks want to put more on this than really, is really there. I just find it interesting how quick the conversation goes back and forth. Where are you from? Here. Uh, do you know him? Yep. Is it well? Yep. Here comes his daughter. And I, as I imagine, I picture them saying, and here comes her daughter as they're turning away to get away from this guy. They answer him so quickly, and it appears from the text immediately, borderline rude, what he says next to them. He said, behold, it's still high day. It is not time for the livestock to be gathered together. Water the sheep and go, pasture them. Now, my first question, and what's your name again? Who are you? Why are you telling me what to do? At what point? What, what's going on here? Now remember, he's roughly in his 70s, and so he's not a young man talking to young men. This is most likely a much older man speaking to shepherd boys. Most likely. But they said, We cannot until all the flocks are gathered together and the stone is rolled from the mouth of the well when we water the sheep. All right, so there's your context. There's your setting. These shepherd boys... Jacob comes up to this well, finds out, okay, I'm in the right spot. The Lord's leading, the good hand of God, is on this man's life. He led him to the right well, and he led him to that well at the exact time that his future bride is walking up to the well. Uh, If our God, guys, I tell you, in the study of the Scripture, I just keep coming back to this, our God is a God of incredible precision. He is not a loose God. He's not a uh, somehow it'll work itself out type of God. The concept of deism is ridiculous. The fact that God made uh, everything and then just kind of wound the clock and then just lets it run is ridiculous biblically. As you search the scripture, you see Almighty God continually at work in the midst of His people. In His creation, the sovereign of the universe is not sitting with His arms folded. He is working amongst us for his good purposes. And so, here's Jacob, lands right there, and here comes Rachel. Verse 9, while he was still speaking with them, Rachel came with her father's sheep, for she was a shepherdess. Now, there's some things we can draw from uh, this passage in reference to Rachel. Her name is Ewe Lamb, like a little lamb. So there's a little play on words here. Here comes the little lamb with her little lambs. And she's on her way, and she's also a shepherdess. You do not see that very regularly in in the, in the Scriptures, where the daughter is the one caring for the sheep. So what does this tell us? Well, we're going to be told in just a second that she's beautiful. Obviously, she's strong. Obviously, she's trustworthy. Dad gave her the keys to the sheep. She's allowed to go out with this flock to water them, to care for them, to make wise judgments. So beautiful, wise, strong, trustworthy. Sounds like the list Jacob was making on his way to Haran of what he wanted to find in a wife. Jacob immediately rolls the stone by himself. Look down at your Bible, verse 10. Now, as soon as Jacob saw Rachel, the daughter of Laban, his mother's brother, and the sheep of Laban, his mother's brother, Jacob came near and rolled the stone from the well's mouth and watered the flock of Laban, his mother's brother. Now, remember what this shepherd, shepherd voice told them. At a certain time, we all come together at this well, and this rock is removed. We all come together because it's very heavy, and we move it together collectively. So here's Jacob, and here comes this beautiful girl coming near him, And it says he immediately ran over and grabs that rock and wrenched that thing all by himself with veins popping out of his forearms. (laughs) Now, I don't know about you, I I love the scripture because it is so clear and understands, God understands us so well, and his words shows that, because we ask the question, what's this guy doing here? Well, um, two words came to my mind, show and off. I believe that there is showing off slash courtesy. I believe there's a desire to meet this girl. He knows who she is. She doesn't know who he is. First impressions are everything. And so he wants to very much be there in the moment, showing a muscle. For some reason, the sleeves were torn off right before this happened. I don't know why. And as he moves that rock out of the way, then it says that he watered all the sheep as well. So not only was he strong and did this powerfully, but also very, in a courteous way, washed or watered all of these sheep. I'll tell you a quick story, because it's kind of a funny story. It's not one that I like, but I'll share it with you anyways. Um, when Amber, before Amber and I were dating, we were just, we were, we were good, very good friends. She's my best friend. And I was helping her move. And I'll never forget because it was utterly embarrassing, and we loaded a truck with all of her belongings, and the last thing on the truck was a washing machine. It was just her and I dropping it off at her mom's house, and I grabbed the washing machine, and she said, here, let me help you. I said, I got it. And I bear-hugged the washing machine, and went like that, and then went like that, and then went like that. And (laughs) parts fell off of it, and it it just crashed on the Man, she was impressed, i got (laughs) to tell you. Hey, it worked, so you tell me. Um, I think there there was a desire in Jacob here to make a good impression. As we're going to see, this man is so excited to meet her. Um, He's weeping, as we'll see. And so as he removes the rock on his own and begins to water these lambs, he is going to encounter the love of his life. Then, uh, look down at verse 11, Then Jacob kissed Rachel and wept aloud, and Jacob told Rachel that he was her father's kinsman, and that he was Rebekah's son, and she ran and told her father. So here's this man who has shown his strength, but also his passion, his, his joy, his affection for his family. Uh, don't read too much into the kiss here. This is more of a greeting kiss. This is not a romantic kiss. How do I know that? Because he's about to kiss Laban also. So this is, this is not a, a romantic thing. Um, this, is a, this is a greeting kiss, something in their culture, something that they did at that time. So he kisses Rachel. He's excited. He tells her who, who he is, and Rachel with joy rushes to tell her father. Now look at verse 13, as soon as Laban heard the news about Jacob, his sister's son, he ran to meet him and embraced him and kissed him and brought him to his house. Jacob told Laban all these things and Laban said to him, surely you are my bone and my flesh. And he stayed with him a month, and as we'll see in the next verse, a month of work. So he shows up, He meets Rachel. They have a beautiful interaction, meeting each other. She rushes and tells Laban, Rebecca's brother. Rebecca's brother Laban runs, gives him the greeting, a kiss, accepts him. Surely you're you're part of the family. Now come and stay with me for a month. And no doubt he begins working for him in that month. This is where it gets tricky. Verse 15. Then Laban said to Jacob, Because you are my kinsman, should you therefore serve me for nothing? Tell me what shall your wages be? Now, I've never really had anybody work for me. I've never been a business owner of something of that nature. But for those of you who have, how regularly do you let the employees select their wages? Okay, judging by your laughter, that doesn't happen regularly. No, so then you can scratch your head a little bit and go, why is this guy being so nice to me? I remember one time Amber and I bought a pickup truck and um, it didn't work out the best financially, I'll just say that. But I was so impressed that the salesman became my best friend in the world for a half an hour. because he had an uh, an intention. And so I don't want to press something onto Laban here, because I don't know, in the line of the story, beloved, when Laban decided to scheme. I don't know if that was at the beginning. I don't know if that came later. I don't know the answer. I just happen to find it very odd that he goes, I think you should stay and work. How much do you want? Let me get a blank check for you, cousin, nephew, and so that way you can tell me uh, how much you want. Now, listen to what the response is. Verse 16, now Laban had two daughters. The name of the older was Leah, and the name of the younger was Rachel. Leah's eyes were weak, but Rachel was beautiful in form and appearance. Jacob loved Rachel. Okay, so you've you've got two people here. Two daughters. You have the older, Leah, the younger, Rachel. Leah, it says her eyes were weak. Some folks think that this simply points to the fact that her eyes did not have the the bright beauty that her sister's eyes had. It's another means of speaking about the attractiveness. Also, notice it doesn't say her eyes were weak and she was beautiful. No, 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 no. The, The point is she was the lesser attractive of the two. Rachel, the text says with great clarity, was attractive and beautiful in form and in in her beauty. And so there's two daughters here, one older, one younger. Now, Leah and Rachel, the older, the younger. There's something here that I don't want you to miss about a parallel in the text, okay? Just don't miss that. Leah, the older, Rachel, the younger. Jacob has fallen head over heels for Rachel. We know that he's been there about a month. Who knows how much longer after that month? But within that time, no doubt, there's family dinners. There's times of working together. There's times of talking. And this man is in love with Rachel. Verse 17, Leah's eyes were weak, but Rachel was beautiful in form and substance. Jacob loved Rachel, and he said, I will serve you. Seven years for your younger daughter Rachel. This is a, called a marriage mortgage. Where he is saying, for the next seven years, I will work hard for you. And remember, for a month he's already worked, he's already shown his capabilities, already shown what he can do as a worker. And so Laban has said, You're my kinsman, you've worked hard, you tell me your wages. For seven years, now this is overshooting quite a bit as far as what, what Jacob is um, committing to here, what is, he is wanting to do here. For seven years, I will labor for the sake of having your daughter Rachel as my wife because I am in love with her. The younger of the two is who I prefer. Laban said, verse 19, it's better that I give her to you than that I should give her to any other man. Stay with me. So Jacob served seven years for Rachel, and they seemed to him but a few days because of the love he had for her. Now, I want to take a stop real quick, a pause real quick here, because now the storyline, you guys, as, you, as if you're familiar with this, it's comical. Utterly humiliating to some people, scheming, deceptive. There's darkness to the text, is what I'm saying. But let me pause for just a sec, because I've got to say, that is one of the most beautiful statements in reference to love between a husband and wife you'll find in the Scripture. He worked and worked for seven years, and the Scripture says, but those seven years were but a few days because of his love for this woman. I'm a bit of a romantic. And when I read something like that, I think, that makes sense. The joy that is in his heart to think, this is going to be my bride. Seven years, bring it! I'll do whatever you want, Laban. I am so in love with this woman that I am committed fully and totally to her. And so I don't, I'm not too concerned about what job you have. Please notice, all he said was seven years I'll work hard for you and you grant me Rachel as my wife. Okay? What kind of jobs do you want to do? Doesn't matter. How much you want to work a day? Doesn't matter. It's just one of those verses that should probably be inscribed on a wedding invitation somewhere. That this man says, for seven years it was like just a few days because I was looking forward to the joy that was set in front of me. Much like, beloved, how the Lord Jesus Christ despised the shame, bearing the shame on the cross with the joy that was set before him, as we're told in Hebrews 12 that the Lord Jesus Christ, as He said, I will take that pain on the cross for the joy of receiving my bride. And that joy that was set before the Savior as He was punished, brutally spit on and mocked and slapped and scourged, he He took it. And for the joy of receiving his bride and ultimately the glory of his father, he received that punishment for the joy in front of him. And so I I see another picture here as I see Jacob saying, it's but a few days to labor for those seven years as long as I'm ending with her. Now, if you look at verse 21, the language is very interesting. It's rather striking because he doesn't say, Dear Laban, I was thinking, it's been about seven years. I don't know if your calendar is working very well on your phone, but it's been about seven years. And um, I was thinking, probably it'd be about the right time for me to get married to Rachel, right? No, no, no. He doesn't. It, there's no courtesy here. The text says what it says. And what does it say? Then Jacob said to Laban, verse 21, Give me my wife, that I may go into her, for my time is completed. Now some commentators spoke about this, and I'm undecided to be perfectly honest with you, I'm not sure. They said that perhaps it's written this way because Laban was being slow to his part of the agreement. Now that's possible, but that's reading quite a bit into simply the language here but nonetheless, the language is rather striking for him to come and say, give me my wife. Um, But regardless, the man has worked hard for seven years. It wouldn't strike me that crazy if he was getting a little impatient the last half year of work and was pretty excited. So he comes to Laban and says, I'm ready. Let me have my bride. So Laban gathered together all the people of the place and made a feast. Very common, a very common practice, a wedding feast, a large gathering of all the people come together. We're going to celebrate and rejoice in this marriage. But in the evening, he took his daughter Leah and brought her to Jacob. And he went into her. Laban gave his female servant Zilpah to his daughter Leah to be her servant. And in the morning, behold, it was Leah. And Jacob said to Laban, What is this you have done to me? Beloved, the the irony of what just happened is astounding. And maybe you're not tracking, and you're, right now you're going, what irony. Do you remember that guy that put the sheep's fur on his arms? Remember that guy? And he put on his brother's clothes, and he walked in with some food prepared by his mom that he took to his father, and his father said, wow, that was fast. Where'd you get the food? The Lord gave me a successful hunt. Are you sure that you're Esau? I'm sure. It's me, Dad. And after he feasted, gave the blessing. And then Jacob walked out, and more, more than likely, his mother was rejoicing that this worked. And Esau came in, and he says, who are you? I'm Esau, your oldest son. And Isaac trembled with a deep, dark trembling of what has happened. I imagine Esau's response was, what is this you have done to me? Now, isn't it fascinating? Jacob is eating the words of his brother. Coincidence? I think not. I believe that our God, in his sovereign good purpose, and please don't miss me, his love for Jacob, that God is stretching this man. God is at work in this man. And he has just brought something into his life that has obliterated his ego. Remember what his name means, uh, ankle grabber, as he was grabbing his brother's ankle. Another translation is the cheat or a cheater. Well, the cheater has officially been cheated. Not only that, apparently this runs in the family. Rebecca was pretty good at swindling, Jacob was as well, but Uncle Laban, oh man, Uncle Laban, you should see him at the parties, this guy is a schemer and a half. And so Laban actually brings his daughter Leah, and now I know guys that there's a ton of white space in our Bibles on, in reference to this one. For, for instance, where's Rachel? How? how, Okay, this guy's been working for seven years among these two women and he didn't know it's Leah? Seriously? Why not? What's going on there? Some folks have said perhaps that she wore a veil. Perhaps they were very much the same size. Perhaps their voices were much alike. Perhaps he had celebratory beverages at his wedding. But the scripture says he didn't know. So where's Rachel? Is she being kept captive somewhere? Has she just been told by her father, not you, Leah, go. And she obeyed? But then what about Leah? What's the answer for Leah? Did Leah also have a secret crush on this guy? Was she happy and clicked her heels to do what father had told her? Did she begrudge it? Was it devastating to go and do this, knowing what she was doing to her sister? All blank in my Bible. My curiosity is running like crazy this week, studying this text, because I'm like, man, ha, well, there's so many variables, right? But regardless, the scheming plan of Laban worked, and the next morning he woke up. It was not the love of his life. This is not what I agreed to. Laban, you you dirty scoundrel. You did not give me the woman that I worked for. Perhaps he's angry at Leah. How could you do this to me? Where's Rachel? I mean, you can imagine. Come on, guys. Can't you imagine the indignation and the consternation as he wakes up and goes, What just happened? And, perhaps, depending on where this man's thinking was in that moment, how is God in this? I got a distinct promise from the living God, I'm with you till I've brought all this to fruition, and now I'm in this place, not even by my own doing. There's nothing in the passage that says that, that he cheapened on his work for Laban, or anything of that nature. There's nothing like that in the language. He worked hard. And it was but a few days, because he was so head over heels for this girl, and he was tricked. Beloved, your sins will find you out. I'm not saying that we are not forgiven by our, by our God for our sin. Jesus Christ has paid the penalty, I believe that with all of my heart, but there are earthly consequences to the sin in your life. And here's what's so tricky about it. At times, after the sin's accomplished, we walk away going, I got off scot-free. To which a wise older Christian would say, just wait. Wait. This will catch up. This will catch up with you. And to see the cheat cheated in such a way. And please also notice what Laban says to him, because he twists the knife just a bit. Verse 25, In the morning, behold, it was Leah. And Jacob said to Laban, What is this you've done to me? Did I not serve with you for Rachel? Underscore, exclamation point, Rachel, why then have you deceived me? Laban says, it is not done. So. <laughs> I'm sorry, I just think of the, how ridiculous this is. It is so, it is not so done in our country to give the younger before the firstborn. And you've decided to tell me now. <laughs> Copy that. Thanks, Uncle Laban. Obviously, he's scheming, and what do you do after a scheme and you get caught? If you want to continue to cover, you lie. Now, the funny part about this is that he's telling the very truth of their custom of how things work here, right? But he's also just simply covering some tracks behind him to say, actually, this is something we don't do in our culture. I don't know if you're aware of this, but typically the older daughter has to be married before the younger daughter, so I'm pretty sure you're fine with Leah, right? you imagine the outrage in this man's heart? Well, let me remind you that the blessing from Isaac was to go to Esau, the older before the younger. You see the dots connecting here and the irony of what this man is receiving by the hand of God through the scheming of his uncle. Your sins will find you out. Let me say this. Beloved, let us be oh so careful in how we conduct ourselves as disciples of Jesus Christ. This is why the Apostle Paul says, shall we sin that grace may abound? And he says, may it never be. Though you are rescued by the Lord Jesus Christ, there are crazy, grave circumstances to your disobedience to His Word. And you will endure those in this life. And God will use that for His good purposes in your life. There is a light at the end of the tunnel, and it's called God's sovereign love in your life. But why would you inflict pain upon yourself and upon those around you to willingly walk in disobedience to what you know to be true? The Lord will not, the Lord will not be mocked. Verse 27. Remember, this guy is a really good salesman, so he's got another plan for him. Complete the week of this one. And we will give you, we, the family, will give you the other also in return for serving me another seven years. You get one for the price of two, brother. Here you go. Jacob did so and completed her week, this week of celebration, this this marriage week. Then Laban gave him his daughter Rachel to be his wife. Laban gave his female servant Bilhah to his daughter Rachel to be her servant. Now, the two maid servants that are given with Rachel and with Leah are very important because we're going to see they have a pivotal role to play in the history and the nation of Israel. Okay, so just jot that in your mind that those two servants are given with the two women. Verse 30. So Jacob went into Rachel also, and he loved Rachel more than Leah and served Laban for another seven years, and they all lived happily ever after. Not on your life. So what do we do with that? This is what's so fascinating, and this is what I have grown to love so deeply about preaching narratives in the Scripture, is that you can read that and go, Sounds like a messed up family. Maybe some of you are going, sounds like my family. (laughs) These things happen. Things go awry. They don't work according to the great and glorious plan. So what are you telling us, Dan, from preaching this very familiar story? When I say story, please don't ever give the connotation of that to something that's not true. It's just the word that I use, but I mean it as true history that happened with human beings on this planet when I say story. Let's say that real quick. Um, what does this mean for us? Well, here's, here's kind of where my, my mind continues to go in reference to preaching narrative. God is at work in absolutely everything in this. God is sovereignly at work in every single event. When you look at certain events in history where some particular particle or something got caught in some other thing which triggered another thing, which triggered another thing, which triggered another thing, thing, and it just keeps building up and building up and building up. Remember the nail from the horse's shoe is lost, and the horse's shoe is lost, and then the horse is lost, and the rider's lost, and then the whole army is lost, and then the battle is lost, and then the war is lost. Don't for a second think that there's tiny little things that get out of God's attention. No, our God works with incredible precision. Let me boil it down to the very nails that entered the wrists or hands of the Lord Jesus. That exact nail was predetermined before the foundation of the world to be the one that would enter the flesh of the Son of God. Our God is a God of incredible precision. Let me read this definition. This is a definition of the term providence. This is from a pocket theological dictionary I've had for a number of years. What is providence? God's superintending activity over human actions and human history, bringing creation to its divinely determined goal just in case you didn't have coffee, God's superintending activity over human actions and human history, bringing creation to its divinely determined goal. You ever heard the phrase, well, the devil's in the details. You heard that before? Wrong. Dead wrong. Almighty God, the sovereign of the universe, is in the details. The Lord is the one who is at work in all those little fibers of how this world is working. The sovereign is the one at work. Almighty God is profoundly at work in the quote-unquote ordinary happenings on this planet. The actions of mankind are moving towards the goal and the good purpose of Almighty God. Dan, how on earth could you say that after this text? Well, let me read this quote from Kent Hughes. He says, consider this. Twelve sons and one daughter would be born to the four women. So the two sisters and the two uh, handmaids. Four sisters, uh, or four women. Through unloved Leah and her maid Zilpah, eight of the twelve tribes would come. Leah would be the mother of Reuben, Simeon, Levi, Judah, Issachar, and Zebulun. Despised Leah was the hereditary mother of the kingly tribe of Judah and the priestly tribe of Levi. This makes her the ultimate offspring, or her ultimate offspring, Moses, David, and the Lord Jesus Christ. Indeed, God's work goes on and even thrives amidst human failure. I don't know about you, but when you look at the lineage of Jesus Christ and you see who is involved in that timeline resulting in the Almighty God coming in the flesh, I have one word, wow. Wow. I lose my wallet often. I don't know where it is. My little pea brain, I can't remember that. Almighty God throughout the entire human history has planned this out. And this is the mystery. And I use that word with as best I can. I believe that's the right word. There's a mystery here where we say, so, God, was it right what they did? Was Laban doing good? No. Sin. Did it work according to your purpose? Completely. Absolutely. The sin of man is not out of the reach of the sovereign. Rather, It's harnessed to accomplish His good purpose. This is why we begin as Christians, many of our statements with, but God providentially brought such and such into my life and wove it all together to result in this. So... I, I love you guys with all of my heart. I love this church with all of my heart. I pray for you. I think about you a, a, a lot, a whole lot. And I don't, I don't preach this out of. Um, let me do a positive instead of a negative. I preach this out of love for you, because I know you're suffering. Many of you are suffering this morning. You are suffering. Perhaps physical pain, emotional pain. I don't don't know all the ins and outs, but I know some of you are suffering. I've been here 11 years. I've watched some of you suffer intensely. And I would bet you're going to suffer intensely again. And so, I know it seems a little interesting or a little silly maybe at times, but the reason I hit this so hard is I want you prepared for the storm. So when Jacob wakes up and he goes, I was lied to. It wasn't even my doing. This is none of my fault. The answer can be, the sovereign of the universe has a glorious plan that will result eventually. Now, I'm just as human as you. I know that doesn't suffice in the moment. But let me just remind you, it's true. That's the truth. I wouldn't lie to you. That is the truth. I believe with all my heart it's the truth that God is working in everything for His sovereign good pleasure, and He works all things together for good for you who are called according to His purpose and who He loves and who loves Him. The Lord's promises to Jacob are in no danger of being thwarted. No, rather, our Lord knows exactly what He is doing, and He will accomplish it perfectly. So I got one question, and then I'm going to pray. And this is what it kind of funnels to. Okay? So here's this whole message, and here's the points I've made, and it funnels down to this little drop. And here's the drop. Okay, Do you trust him? I'm not asking, do you trust in him? I'm not saying, are you saved? I'm asking, like, right now, with the circumstances in your life, perhaps boiling all around you, do you trust him? Do you trust what you just heard from this text? Do you trust from the other passages that we have covered over and over and over again in this pulpit and Bible studies and perhaps your whole life in the church? Do you trust Him? If somebody looked at your life, calendar, money, time spent, your stress level, take a stress test, do you trust Him? Does it show? Does it bleed through? Beloved, the longer I study the scripture, the more I see my distrust in God is insanity. I have every reason to fully trust God in absolutely every single circumstance. The tough part is I'm periodically insane. And I don't trust Him. So my church family, with all of my heart, I pray for Dan, I pray for Amber, I pray for my kids, I pray for you. God, please, I believe. But would you help my unbelief? Would you give me a greater faith, a greater true substance holding on to you that you're at work in everything for your good pleasure and for my eternal good. If God can harness the nasty scheming of Laban and this complete train wreck of a marriage to result in the glorious salvation of our souls in the coming Savior, beloved, may we look at the storms of life from that vantage point of the sovereign.